Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hey guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Uh, we're on the finale. What in the world? I blinked and I feel like we just were on Anne and here we are. Graduation day, part two. What in the world? How are we all feeling? Everybody excited? Nervous? I feel like getting to the end of the season when we're doing this podcast is like a sigh of relief because the <laughs> whole – and like in a good way because the whole season – we have been putting off saying True. so much stuff in the non-spoiler section. And I feel like when we come to the end, it's like, oh my gosh, we can finally talk about the fact that faith is evil. We can yes, talk about the I agree. mayor. We can talk about like graduation. We can talk about Angel leaving. The we themes. Can, like, yeah. yeah, there's just like, there's so much. And we can finally talk about like why so much stuff happened in each episode. Like, and I mean, we'll talk about that more in our recap episode, but like, Coming to the end is just like, A, it feels fulfilling because it's like, wow, another season done. Like, it's it's awesome. Like, it's an accomplishment for us, but also like, it's very fun. But it's also like, oh, that's less spoilers that we are going to be able to like actually spoil for someone, you know, which is very nice. This is the part of me in high school that would then take a break, slam. Not, I don't have a laptop during that time, but I would turn off the TV and then go in mourning for a year. And then rewatch the first three seasons and then years later decide to watch four yep. through seven. Me and Tabby have both talked about for like three years now or over about how like, well, I guess two years, whatever. Um, but <laughs> how we've talked about like that both Tabby and I took breaks after like around season three and we could never specify why. We both were just like, oh, there's stuff that happens at the end of season three. And it's like, now everyone knows it's because Angel leaves. And it's like, yeah. It's just like, and I mean, season four and five and six and seven, like, are still really great. And we'll have so much to talk about. But there is always a part of me after season three that just kind of, like, just kind of stays with the first three seasons because it really is just so innocent. Like, you have Angel and Buffy there and Cordelia. And it's just kind of like, oh, you just have the gang, you know? And it's like, it, after that, it just, the show changes a bit, you know, it, it graduates for lack of a better word. Yeah. No, it's fitting. And I mean, Giles talks about at the end of the episode how it's like, you know, a certain synchronicity bordering on predestination or whatever it is he says. And I, it's, it's very obvious that the show is graduating to something new. It's changing. Um, and change is always really hard, especially when we have loved what the show was and knowing that it's going to become something else. It's kind of hard, but you know, there is good stuff. I absolutely love the later years. Mm -hmm. It's we've got lots of good stuff. Here's the poll that I will have for the later seasons too. Like I feel like there's going to be some really good discussions and I feel like it opens up a lot of doors for a lot of different things. So I'm excited to see that evolve. I will say for all of those of you who are like the first three seasons are better, the rest of the show sucks blah blah blah, which I get. I understand that critique. The biggest thing I will always say is the first three seasons are tight and they're good. 
But if the show ended after season three, it would just be a high school show. That was amazing. That was great. But the last four seasons is really what what makes it unique. It's what makes it beyond just a high school teenage show because Buffy grows up and she learns and a lot of the all the characters grow up in different ways and the show would not be what it is today if it just ended after season three. It would have been classified as just for yeah. adolescents. And yeah, it, totally. And it, it would still be amazing. Like it would still beat everyone in the category. But like the last half of the show is really what elevates it and really takes it out of just that high school type teen show, you know? And so anyone who's watching it for the first time and is hesitant to watch it after this because we have bagged on like season four a little bit um, and or anyone who's rewatching and is kind of like feeling that bit of burnout. I This is my encouragement. Like there is so many amazing things coming and there will be a bit of growing pains in season four, but like it really is so worth it. And before we jump into the episode, just a reminder to you guys, this Saturday, June 4th at 1130 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, we are having our live spoiler recording where you guys get to come on and either listen to us talk about Buffy or jump on and talk about it with us as well. It's going to be so much fun. Last year was an absolute blast. We had a lot of you guys come and just listen, and a handful of you guys came and actually like gave us your thoughts, which was super fascinating, super fun. And we hope to have that same thing with you guys this time. Last year, I know that like after it happened, we had so many people requesting us to do it again, um, and we were like, definitely. So this is it. And because it's spoilers, we get to talk about the entirety of the show and how everything relates, get to kind of talk about the show Angel as well. So it's going to be an absolute blast. We hope you guys can make it. We will make sure that we put the link. um, It'll be on our Riverside account where we record our podcast, not on Instagram. Um, We will put that on our website, Becoming Buffy Podcast. Also put it on our Instagram, probably Friday evening, Saturday morning, somewhere along there. Um, But yeah, check those out and definitely come swing by and say hello. We'd love to hear from you guys. All right. So Graduation Day Part 2, written and directed by Joss Whedon. Um, Originally, it was supposed to air on April Fool's Day, 1999. But again, because of Columbine, which only happened four weeks before the airing of Part 1, the WB president, Jamie Kellner, announced at the time, given the current climate depicting acts of violence at a high school graduation ceremony, even fantasy acts against a 60-foot serpent and vampires, we believe is inappropriate to broadcast around the actual dates of these time-honored ceremonies. The network had already pulled the plug on the episode Earshot, which we talked about before, which Again, Earshot wasn't even aired until September, and then they decided to air this episode in July, about two months after it was initially supposed to air, which I can't even imagine not being able to watch this episode. I I would be like dying inside for sure. And apparently the decision to pull this episode only happened about two hours before the episode was supposed to air. Could you even imagine? You like have planned your whole day around watching this. And you go to sit down. And this is when like we didn't have the internet as prevalent as we do now. And so you probably didn't hear the news until you actually sat down and like turned on the TV. And they did a rerun of I think it was Band Candy or something in this slot. I would be livid for sure. 
Um, the sudden move received huge attention in the media and thousands of letters were sent to the network demanding that the season finale be shown. Sarah Michelle Geller publicly spoke out against the decision, although Seth Green agreed that the episode would be seen as callous and inappropriate after the Columbine shooting. And just like with Earshot, the media took them deciding not to release it as hypocrisy. Um, Charles Taylor, who wrote a story for Salon, said, Is Kellner, the studio head of WB, implying that it has suddenly become irresponsible to expose younger viewers to a show that's been aimed at them for three years now? It's shoddy enough treatment to leave an audience hanging by postponing the concluding half of a two-part episode. There's something particularly appalling about a PR stunt like this being pulled by a network whose programs are geared to younger people. The WB's decision has an inescapable air of big daddy condescension. The network acted like a parent who suddenly decided that maybe the kids were too young for that shiny toy they'd given them after all. And I mean, I can't help but read like critiques and comments like this as just the pettiness of the media being upset that Buffy had the gall to call them out on some crap because the media's baby at the time was, oh my gosh. And what I mean by media is like news outlets and stuff. They like to say, oh, it's because of TV shows like you that we have school shootings and stuff. And we talked about this in earshot. And so this is them instead of taking responsibility for you know maybe being a little bit more ethical in the way that they they uh, announce things and talk about things and talk about sc- shootings cuz you know personal thing here i think that the media tends to sensationalize school shootings and that ends up being worse than having you know violence in uh video games and other things like that and so sometimes it feels like news outlets like to use um TV and stuff like that as a way of putting the blame off of themselves, if that makes sense. So the WB did not at all air the episode until July 13th, almost two months after it was originally scheduled, since nearly all U.S. schools ended their term in May or June. The episode attracted 6.5 million viewers, atypically high for the WB during summer and comparable to what the other episodes of the season had received. The incident was also lampooned in a segment on Comedy Central's The Daily Show in which then-host Jon Stewart joked that the episode was delayed until the heat is off and networks can go back to being irresponsible. Stewart then quipped that in addition to postponing the finale, WB executives are considering changing the show's name to Buffy, the Vampire Inconveniencer. According to Marty Noxon in a DVD commentary, the explosion scenes were filmed at 5 a.m. in Torrance, California, where the outdoor scenes had been filmed for the previous three years. The explosion was so huge, it woke up many of the residents, broke windows, and set off car alarms. As a result, the town refused to allow Buffy to film there ever again. (laughs) Which is really lucky because they didn't have to go back to the high school. But just, you know, moving forward, all shots that are shown of Buffy's house are on a soundstage from here on out because they no longer could go to location and actually shoot at Buffy's house, which is really interesting. Um, these episodes are the last to feature David Boreanaz and Charisma Carpenter as main cast members as they go on to Angel the Series. <laughs> so sad. And here's what David Fury had to say about season three ending and, you know, the season as a whole. He says, there were a couple of missteps, but overall I thought season three was great. It introduced Faith, who was a phenomenal character, and the mayor was great. I was so happy to be a part of it. 
We also knew it was going to be the last season of high school, which was going to throw the show into a whole new direction when we got into season four. It's a very different dynamic in college than in high school. Joss first sold the show as high school as hell. Everybody gets that. That was the perfect allegory. But college doesn't hold that kind of weight. High school is such a microcosm of society, but college really isn't. College is something more open and more about adulthood, and it just didn't have the same clear allegorical signposts that high school does. And then writer Claire Saffitz wrote, I think season three is not only when the show really found its footing, but it's this sort of emotional culmination of what the show had been and of the groundwork that had been laid in seasons one and two. It's her last year of high school, and you really feel the emotional weight of what's happening. She's thinking about college and leaving home, and that's terrifying enough, not to mention faith in the mayor and then everything with graduation. For someone watching the show in real time and really being someone close to that age, I really felt how scary season three was. And that's from Into Every Generation by Cats. So yeah, it's just, it's the end of an era. It's 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 not like it's just the end of a season. It's not like season one or two. Like the show changes drastically after this. Um, and again, that isn't all negative and that isn't all positive. There's, you know, a mixed bag from here on out. But I'm I'm really excited. I'm excited to go to the next chapter in Buffy's life. So Graduation part two. I love when like a two-parter episode, the second one starts off right when the first one ends. Because mm-hmm. it like if you just edit out the edits and the beginning recap, you could squish them together and it could be like a movie, which is kind of fun. So with that being said, we start off right where the ending of part one ended, I guess. Um, Buffy's looking over the top of the roof. She looks extremely stunned. I feel like this look on Buffy's face screams like a give up to me. Like she could have technically run down there and sprinted after the truck, but I feel like it was one of those things where like, I think that she was shocked that she actually did stab Faith. I don't know. I don't think she's giving up. She looks exhausted. You could see her kind of like warily push herself up and kind of hold her stomach a little bit. I feel like she could have run down there if she really needed to. The script implies that she can't. It says, Buffy is still at the ledge. The truck with Faith's body is long gone. Buffy stands warily. She looks at the knife in her hand, letting it drop. She buries her face in her hands, thinks. So it's almost like she's like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Faith is gone. I'm exhausted. That kind of thing. But Passion of the Nerd mentions, he's like, this is not a win for Buffy. Like this is not one of those situations where we're like, woohoo, Buffy won, yay, she got the bad guy. Like this is not mm-hmm. a win in any any situation. And I really feel like she would be miserable either way. It's like Faith yeah. getting away, she's gonna be miserable. If she gets Faith and then if gets him to Angel, she's like, there's no coming back from that either. So this is a lose lose situation. Yep. Um yep. it's so sad that like this this scene is like amazing and very like perfectly framed and shot and the acting is amazing and the whole time I was like her hair looks so good (laughs) (laughs) it just sits perfectly and the blonde that she has in this episode is like so beautiful like the Mm because she's been like her hair has been getting healthier as season three has been going on because she's been bleaching it but this specific blonde that leads into season four hair of Buffy is just like a golden it's so pretty Um, but Buffy kind of Looks around, she looks exhausted, um, and then she starts walking down the stairs on the side of the rooftop, and then they pan over as the mayor slowly walks over glass. The vibe I got from the mayor, this is the first time we've seen him be frazzled that something hasn't gone according to plan, and it vibes with what Faith and Angel both tell Buffy that Faith is 
an aspect of his humanity. She's the thing that it's what he didn't account for. He didn't expect to be so attached to her. And so like we see him really like he's kind of like stream of consciousness. Like he's talking out loud yeah. as he's thinking at the same time. Um, the actor who plays the Mary Harry did such a good job of just he is so believable between his movements, his eyes, like you said, Sarah, the stream of consciousness that's happening with what he's saying. Like he's quoting what he told to Faith the last episode, calling her like a good girl, like um, saying that today's her day. Um, and then he kind of snaps at the vamp. And I was like, ooh, like everything just moved so well together. And his snapping his eyes, I was so terrified of him. I think the mayor is also a little surprised that yes. Faith didn't win. I think yeah. that he really expected Faith to beat Buffy. I mean, the whole time he's talking about how, like, Faith is kind of going to have a showdown with Buffy at the end, like, at graduation, and, like, that'll kind of be her graduation. And, like, mm -hmm. I really think that he has been training Faith to kind of kill Buffy. And I think I that he fully believed that she was going to be able to. I think that's really astute, Leah. I think that he wasn't necessarily planning on Faith killing Buffy. I mean, I think he was fine with it, but I think he was expecting that he would kill Buffy at graduation day and that it was going to be Faith's day. That's what he means by it's going to be ascension for all of us. Because we've talked about there's the metaphorical assimilation between Buffy and Faith, but there's also like almost the physical. If Buffy is gone, Faith can now take her place. Um, and so I think that's what the mayor means by this is your day. So something I wanted to mention that I forgot to mention in the last episode was kind of Faith's apartment and that whole set and the idea that kind of went along with that. So Carrie Meyer, who was the production designer on the show, um, I found some notes where he was talking a little bit about the thought that went into designing Faith's apartment specifically for the fight between Buffy and Faith, especially when they fall out onto the roof. So he says this. From season two to three, we really developed the exterior Sunnydale Street and the Sun Cinema. And, you know, highlights of that were in the Christmas episode where we snowed it in. And then, of course, near the end of last season, Buffy and Faith had the huge fight from Faith's apartment out onto that rooftop, and which sort of tied us all into the Sun Cinema and the exterior Sunnydale Street. And that was kind of fun because it wasn't something that was really scripted. It was something that we just sort of developed and organically came together in terms of a connection between sets. I had a concept that would try to tie these things together, but was unsure exactly exactly how that would really come to fruition. But fortunately, it did. So when we built Faith's apartment, I placed outside the window a miniature of the Sun Cinema and the street just to tie her into Sunnydale so that we kind of would know where we were instead of just putting a generic trans light out there and saying she's sort of anywhere in Sunnydale. I really wanted to place her in a specific spot. And then near the end of the season, Buffy and Faith have the fight and they go crashing out the window onto a rooftop. I built the rooftop on stage and placed another miniature outside the rooftop, which was of a scale in between this miniature and and the full scale. I built a quarter scale sign in Sun Cinema where Faith falls off the edge of the rooftop. That was all done on stage and the Sun Cinema is there in the background and it's a different scale miniature and then we cut to her falling down onto the back street, you know, where the truck drives by and she falls into the back of that and it goes on off. That was all done on the Sunnydale Street. And then he finishes by saying, I don't think we often get to really tie together the environment so cohesively, which for designers is a really fun thing. My job, I always feel, is not to just create the environments that we shoot in or that the show is, but also have as much of a cohesive and tied together environment as possible, just so that you feel like you're in a place that is real as opposed to just random little bits and as much discontinuity as we have from episode to episode. It's really fun to be able to, over the course of 15 or 20 episodes, find some sort of thread that really ties it all together, which I always 
always thought was really interesting because frankly, that that scene is just so riveting between the two of them. I never really paid attention to what was happening behind them. But the fact that like even subconsciously you can tell exactly where she's located, it just it really ties the season together, not just from a visual aspect, but also just thematically as well. Um, so we we transition from the mayor is saying she's going to be all right over and over and over again. The poor guy you could tell is trying to process all of this. The poor guy. The poor guy. I was like, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, I do feel bad that he he feels something for Faith. Um, he is horrible though. So there is that. But we actually kind of care about it a little mm-hmm. bit. Like it, it's just well done and it's mm-hmm. interesting. We've never seen the mayor this just desperate before and he's almost scared. And I just love the way Harry Groner has played it. And I think that this is like the first time that we really get a sense that the mayor actually cares about her. Yeah. For more than just like a, oh, you're you're good at your job and you're good at what you do and you know, you're a good asset. And like at least I, when the first time I watched this, I really thought that he loved her out of convenience. Like, oh yeah, I mm-hmm. do love you, but you're you're here and you're cool. Like, but if she if it really came down to it, he just kind of would be like, Oh, that sucks. I liked her and moved on. But it's like we really kind of see him shook up. And I remember the first time I saw this, I was like, wow, I did not expect it to have this much of an effect on him. So in the library, Xander comes in and finds Giles drinking coffee. Um, oh, what? Who is this man? <laughs> he's like, tea is soothing and I wish to be tense. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, they're still doing research trying to figure out what exactly the ascension looks like. Cordelia comes in and says that she was on the phone with Wesley. He could barely get his words to speak because he was so upset, <laughs> which is funny that they like – we get it like a small glimpse into the fact that like they talk. Yeah. That's, wait, like, that's so weird. I do like that it's not like Wesley sending Cordelia to go like – he's like, go fix it for me, Cordelia. I was fully prepared, 100%, not going to lie, when Cordelia walked through and was like, I just got off the phone with Wesley for it to be like Cordelia's like blame, 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 blame. But she genuinely is there just she, – she's been out of the loop. She wants to know what's happening. Yeah. And so she's like, hey, too. what's going on? And then they explained it to her and she was like, oh, she understood. But I will say I was not happy – with what she said about Buffy, like at the very end, I was kind of like, okay, why? But then, I mean, that's just kind of Cordelia. Like she just says what's ever on her mind. Yep. It's such a Buffy thing to do, always thinking of herself, which is funny because mm-hmm. then it's like, okay, Cordelia. You know, <laughs> several times this episode, she's definitely not thinking of herself, but you go off, sis. Especially because they immediately cut to Angel and we're like, no, she's clearly thinking about Angel here, not necessarily about herself. Well, in the angel's room, angel's like basically dying. He is dying. Willow for Buffy. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, "You've been helping me," and he like kisses her hand, and she looks so uncomfortable. She's like, "Well, we've been taking turns." (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh! And then he like squints. He's like, "Willow," and then he's like, "He's like, I can't like leave you." He's like, "I thought I could leave, but I need like." I want to be here, which is like, oh, like, why couldn't Buffy be here when, like, he's saying all these things, uh, finds out it's Willow, and then Willow walks out, and then she's, like, telling Oz that, like, Angel mistook her for the Buffy, and he's like, underrated too, huh? line ever. <laughs> I need someone to, like, make a fan video or something of Oz being, having his hand kissed by Angel and having Angel telling him how much he needs him. <laughs> you know, Oz would just kind of be like, 
it's okay, Joel. Like, yeah, he just like, play it it's off. All right. <laughs> Oz is secure enough in his masculinity. I was about to say, I was like, he screams like, eh, whatever. Totally. You do you, man. Like, it's okay. <laughs> it is really interesting because Angel's, what he's saying to Willow, him saying, I can't leave you. I was wrong. I need you. That whole thing. I wonder if he hadn't been forced to drink Buffy if he would have completely changed his mind and would have decided to stay. But I think that him drinking Buffy, and we'll talk about it in a second, just kind of sealed the deal for him that he needed to leave. Man, stepping on my points, Sarah. Sorry, sorry. I'm <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> we all have one track mind anyway. It's like uh, yeah. we're all trying to like beat each other to like the point that we're <laughs> No, <laughs> I'm talking. literally not. It just was the no, thing no, that no, popped no. in my head. <laughs> And then Willow and Oz have this tender moment where Willow says that she feels guilty because in some ways it's been the best night of her life. And they both just sit there and say, it's been the best. And, they and they're like making out and their theme is playing and it's beautiful. And then Buffy walks in and <laughs> Willow's she like – She looks like out of it. So guilty. I just checked on him just now. We're watching. That's how I feel like when someone leaves you with a very important task, it's always the moment that you walk away for oh, just absolutely. one minute that they come back. She tells them to leave. Um, Willow tries to reassure her by saying they'll find another cure. Um, and then Buffy walks into the room. And then he says, I didn't want to go without seeing you. And then she tells him, like, Angel, I can cure you. And then he sits up and he's like, I feel like he can kind of sense where this is going. And he tries to, like, sprint out of the room and then, I was like, like Wait knocks a minute, himself you were over. Dying. <laughs> Where'd you get this sudden burst of energy for? This is one of those moments, you know, when like you're watching something, you get so like involved in like the world and the characters. And then there are moments like this, you're like, oh, right. This is someone acting. It's just so funny to me when those moments happen. Like when he fell, I was like, this is so dramatic. Like it's just funny to me. Well, I mean, they put him on the world's itchiest, most uncomfortable pillow ever. It reminded me of season one Buffy when she's sleeping on like the doily pillows in her mm -hmm. bed. And I was just like, I know they're doing it like for sets, for props and stuff. Like they don't want to show like, you know, your your old crusty pillow that's the most comfortable thing ever. But like this man is dying. Give him a more comfortable pillow. <laughs> yep. And I, I'd like to say too that this scene – is amazingly shot. I think the acting is really, really great. And I feel like it's important to say too that Buffy basically, I don't want to say forces him to drink <laughs> I know her. What you're say. This whole scene is very gray. Wait, what do you mean? Like, did Angel consent? Did yeah. it, you know what I mean? Like, totally. it's just, I mean, technically, all right, go ahead. Say what you're going to say. I don't want to steal your point. Well, I think that. And I, I get like the whole Scooby gang getting mad at him that he drank her, drained her in the hospital. I understand from their perspective because it's like the, – from their thinking, it's like, oh, he's desperate to live so he drinks on Buffy. But it's one of those things where Buffy knew that she was the temptation for him and so she forced it out of him. Mm. And so I think that – She's she's his drug of choice. He, Sure. And so she was like, here, take it, take it, take it. And he is susceptible and weak to it. And so when you put, I don't know, put it right up their nose for them, they're obviously going to snort it. Like, I don't know. Like, it's, yeah. it's very difficult to explain, but. Well, but it's also so important to like know that A, this is life or death. B, mm -hmm. Buffy not only gives it willingly, but like practically shoves it 
like shoves her neck. She forces like, him. Yeah. Yeah, literally. Uh, because it's going to save his life. But it's also like Angel is such in a weakened state that it's like he he knows like this blood smells good and it's gonna like I don't think he knows like oh it's gonna heal me but he's so weak and he needs like fuel and it's literally there. Like I don't fault him one bit for this and I don't fault her like he is acting out of sheer instincts and he's so weak. And Buffy is trying to save him. Like, I don't see anything wrong with it. But also, this is without giving anything away. But in future seasons, we find out that a Slayer's blood is incredibly powerful. It's an aphrodisiac. And it's incredibly hard to stop yourself once you're drinking it. Well, I don't think that's a spoiler because we know after the master bit her, he said, oh my god, the power. Like, there's something about their blood. But I think it's affirmed in later seasons. So I'm just putting that out there now because it's been implied, but I'm affirming it. It's like the Slayer's blood is basically like a drug to vampires, but it's even way more powerful than anyone else's blood. It's different than like draining, let's say, like Willow or Oz in that moment. It's like, I can't stop myself. Um, but the fact that Angel stopped himself without completely draining and killing Buffy is something that we should be looking at as well. This is a very complicated scene. Um, and of course Buffy's going to do this. Of course Buffy's going to force him to because she loves him and wants him to survive. And that's above the possibility of her dying. And so that just goes to show how much she does love Angel. Yeah, I think this scene is Absolutely brilliant. It's the fruition of, I mean, we've talked about how vampirism is a metaphor for, you know, sex as well. And so Buffy and Angel haven't been able to have sex this entire season. And then in this moment, like, it's very clear that, you know, Buffy orgasms as he's drinking from her. And so there's that whole idea of like, it's the culmination of their relationship Mm -hmm. for this season. But there's also the idea that Angel... Or death and pleasure, too, with with yes. the metaphor of, like, vampire yes. and slayer. It's like the, this shouldn't be happening, but I enjoy it. it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. And we've, I mean, we discussed it in Enemies. We discuss it in Amends. Like, and that's the thing. Like, back in Amends, that was his greatest fear, is he was worried he was going to drink her. Jenny the First was tempting him with this, and he was much more willing to go sacrifice himself than to ever drink from her. And then the worst actually happened. And so I think for Angel, it's that recognition that he can't actually control himself, that there, that Angelus might be closer to the surface than he realized. Because the thing is, is that, yeah, the temptation was ridiculous. Yeah, he was in a weakened state. Yeah, Buffy punched him. But ultimately, he gave into his instincts. He gave into his desires and chose to bite her. And so it's really interesting leading into Angel's own show, this whole idea of is this something that Angel can't control? And I think that it adds a whole, on top of it being a really cool way of closing out Buffy and Angel's relationship and his time here on the show, it opens up a whole host of questions that leads us into mm-hmm. the show Angel. Or just like questions for Angel, questions for vampires, questions for sexuality and Buffy. Like there's so much is happening in this one scene. Or just even be like, is this has this crossed the line in their relationship? Like, what's going to sure. look like after this? Like, you right. know, there's there's lots of things. 
Um, which kind of leads us into the fact that like he he falls off of her, looks at Buffy, she's still, he starts freaking out. Um, we jump to the hospital, he's running and holding her, says that she needs blood, that something bit her, he doesn't know what it is. Um, and then the the nurse or the doctor is like, Are you guys on drugs? Yeah, which again is the metaphor of an addict, right? And he doesn't mm-hmm. answer. You notice what he says to her or to the to the doctor, he says, She's clean. He doesn't say he's clean. He says she's clean. And it's the idea that he has tasted her. Therefore, he's the one that's going to need to go and get clean again after having his drug of choice. I never noticed that they that he says that she's clean. Yep. I mean, the and the parallels to men's are so good. I mean, I'm just going to keep going back to that. I mean, the whole metaphor for addiction. I mean, we saw how much it pained Angel then. We see how it's affecting him now. He's eating himself up with guilt all over again. Also, I wanted to note, did you guys notice that this whole shot is one long shot with no cuts? From the moment that Angel yep. bursts into the emergency room with Buffy until – when he confronts the mayor, that is all one long shot. Mm-hmm. And I timed it. It's about two minutes and 50 seconds. I think this is the longest one long shot we've had in the show. And I'm just, it blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Well, I was about to say that there's no coincidence that the two longer shots of the episode so far have been the tie between Buffy, Buffy not being okay, and two, the mayor and Faith on the roof. Mm-hmm. And then in this one, when she's like passed out, like needing a blood transfusion or whatever, it pans over to Mayor in the Faith and and Faith being on the bed and being knocked out. Yes. Like I really feel like it's going to show that like Buffy and Faith's journey, Buffy and Faith are very connected, connected. they're very tied. Yes. It also helps to build the tension of the moment. Mm-hmm. It makes it feel real. It feels like you're actually there in the room. It's so good. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love it when they do that. We talked about it. I think in Innocence was the first time that we really saw this happen. And Joss has said that he loves to do this because he's both writing and directing. He can guarantee that he'll be on set with enough time to be able to get those shots. Um, And I I love it. It makes it feel like you're actually there. Yep. Okay. So when they pan over – I love that the you see the doctors talking to somebody. We don't quite see who it is. And then you see it's the mayor. And he looks like dazed. He looks like he's just barely processing. He's trying to like wrap his mind around everything that's going on. Faith looks rough. She does. Yeah. The makeup is so good. The doctor tells him that there's almost no chance that she'll wake up. Um, almost no chance for recovery. And then the mayor walks over, brushes her hair aside, just like he did the episode beforehand, like a father figure, and says, it's your day. This line, the line, the way he delivered it absolutely breaks me. The way he says, it's your day, like almost as if he's talking to her as if she wasn't Mm -hmm. like unconscious is so sweet. I also just think it's alarming because we've seen Buffy get really beat up and then come back from a fight like nothing, you know? And so we know how powerful and durable like Slayers are. And so to see a Slayer this wrecked is like kind of shocking because like we are not used to it. Yeah, and to know that Buffy did that to her. 
Harry Groner said this about the mayor and Faith's relationship. He says, that was a very interesting and special relationship because it was unconditional. His seeming love for her, I felt, was unconditional, and I don't think she ever had that before. It doesn't matter what you think. I'm going to love you no matter what. Faith got that kind of relationship, and he got a daughter that he could never really have because he's immortal, which I never really thought about the fact that the mayor couldn't have a relationship like that. Um I don't know. I don't know that I see the mayor's love for her as unconditional because I feel like he threatened her a few times in the previous episodes. But I think it's important that Harry Groner thought that and played it as such because I think that's what translates on screen. Mm -hmm. I think for the mayor as a corrupt human being, his relationship with Faith was the best that it could get for him. Sure. Um, Which for him was good. For the bare minimum, probably not. But like for him in his own twisted way, it was a not a pure love, but it was something insignificant for him. Yeah. As he's kind of like looking over Faith, we hear the nurse tell the doctor that there's another girl with severe blood loss and the look in his eyes. This is crazy. It's very subtle. Like like he does it so well. Like he does everything I feel like that he does in this scene is very um in slow motion, like he slowly walks over it as if he's like floating. And the camera follows him. The music oh. is creepy. Like everything is so good. It's the same music as Kralik and Helpless. Yeah, they played a couple times this episode. I just love that music. He walks slowly over and then just just quietly puts his hand over her mouth. And it's just like the, the look of like Buffy being so vulnerable. susceptible and vulnerable. Yes. It's just, I think the fact that they can go from him being tender and sweet to somebody in the same position as Faith to walking over and doing that to Buffy and that they're the same age is just so eerie. And just the fact that we've seen the mayor always as very jovial and happy-go-lucky, everything's under control, why Mm -hmm. even need to worry, on to just completely silent and simmering. And it's a whole new level of the mayor. And I think it was so important to see that because we actually need to like see how evil he is you know what i mean i just kept thinking i was like this nurse is not freaking out enough that's what she i was, thought she, she was like oh, no sir no security <laughs> i'd be like screaming running down the hallway <laughs> i mean i feel like though at sunnydale at this point they're used to it they're used to just like random stuff happening or like she's like oh nothing's an emergency anymore but like this girl's gonna die like she just tries to pull his arm and then like Mm -hmm. runs away i'd be like getting something to hit him like this is your patient that you're in charge of dude i just kept thinking the fact that they chose to have the big bad of this season as a politician for one yeah yeah in sunnydale where i feel like it's the easiest to kind of lie and hide stuff because people are so prone to believing the lie over the truth because they do that every day when it comes to vampires yeah um so that's already interesting but then seeing him in a public area for a politician to not even think about people seeing him try to suffocate a high school girl was so it just kind of hit me well even angel runs up pushes him off and he just kind of starts laughing and everyone's staring at him. Right. Well, you can tell like the mayor wasn't quite 
like himself or like wasn't yeah. quite right. Wasn't it was almost like he about was just it. blinded by rage. You know, he tells him, I'll do that and worse, murderous little fiend. Did you see what she did to my faith? And then when Angel pushes him and he completely crashes through the wall, that's when the mayor kind of snaps out of it and is like, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Like if we get caught up in an altercation now, it's going to prevent my plans later. Right. And why I'm going to kill you later. So why, why worry about it? It's right. it's alarming to see him calculated even when he is kind of spiraling. Yeah, right. It is alarming. He says it's going to be all kinds of excitement. And then he says, Angel, I'll be I'll there. Be there. Mm-hmm. Dude, you don't even know what time it is. Imagine if the sun was actually out and Angel's in a house like, oh, I said I'd be there. I can't get out. The whole gang is in the hospital. Giles comes in. And then Angel comes out to greet the gang, and this scene is rough. Giles looks like he is like, you're dead to me. He's like, you need to leave. Like, it's that look of like, I'm you're, my last straw with you is now broken. You need yeah. to leave. First Jenny, now Buffy. Uh, it's so hard that like nobody – I mean, I don't know. I guess I guess I expected somebody to back up Angel, but I guess the gang hasn't really been close with him, you know? It's I think it's hard because from what it looks like, it looks bad. Because sure. Buffy is in a hospital bed and Angel's now better and they know he had to have drinking her. So I understand that they are all justifiably mad because they don't they don't know what happened. But they know um, Buffy. They know Buffy would do anything. And she even told yeah. them, hey, guys, leave. Yeah, like, she, I want to be alone. You know what I mean? Yeah, it wasn't a surprise to her. Right. And I feel like Willow and Giles and Oz and Xander should all know that Buffy will do literally anything for Angel. So I I just, I don't know. I, I wrestle with the fact that nobody at least stopped to ask questions and be like, hey, like, what happened? Can we know? I mean, I guess Xander says what happened. But, like, let's actually hear it out. I don't know. I think it came down to Angel didn't want to defend himself because he felt so guilty. Yeah. I understand where Angel's coming from with not defending himself because he is very selfless towards Buffy. And so and, – and I think that he's really hard on himself. And so I think anytime someone gives him critiques, he'll just take it. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. Like he'll just be like, yeah, it was my fault. I shouldn't have drank her. And I think that in this moment <sighs> – it's hard because it's like I understand them being upset. I totally get it. Don't fault them for it. And I think from their perspective, they're thinking even if Angel is weak, the fact they're thinking like Buffy offered it and he just like ran with it. I think that that's what they're thinking because I don't think that they thought that he just overtook Buffy. I don't think anyone would think that. But I think they're thinking if someone loves somebody, why would they ever ever even agree to drinking them. Sure. I don't think that they would ever think that Buffy would be punching him until his vamp face actually shows up and then she shoves his face in her shoulder. I don't think that they were thinking actually that. And so I think if they were in the moment and they saw it happening, it would be different. But of course, Angel isn't going to sit there and argue that when Buffy is like barely surviving. You know what I mean? I think there's also kind of this underlying thing of Angel didn't have to take it quite that far, which I feel like is stupid because they said they had to drain the Slayer. So I feel like Angel showed restraint in the overall picture. But the underlying message I think the episode is telling us is that Angel just lost control there for a second and took it too far. Like, I mean, even Buffy says before he bites her, maybe if you don't drink all of it or something like that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm like, how how much how do you know if it's like enough to where it's working? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's yep. it's hard. 
So I know that you understand this dream sequence, so you go ahead take the reins because I don't <laughs> understand what is being said. This dream sequence, literally, I've watched the show, especially this season, countless times, and I literally, like, it literally is like, and I know a lot of it is like foreshadowing and oh, a lot of it we can't talk about right now, but like, I've seen the whole show and I still come back to this dream sequence and I'm like, yeah, Okay. <laughs> Okay. All right. I'll talk about it in just a second. First, I wanted to say something about the scene right before when Giles tells Angel, he says, the sun will be up soon, I think is a very specific word usage. Um, I know Giles is clearly not happy with Angel, but this line feels a lot like an amends because amends in he was waiting for the sun to come up. Um, I'm not necessarily saying Giles is saying, go kill yourself. Oh, you're the worst. But I think that they're trying to make a callback to, and it's a reminder that Angel has relapsed again and that this moment, like the the dread or the fear of this moment happening is what brought him to that point. So just thought it was interesting. Okay. The dream sequence. Um, okay. Yes, this is very ambiguous. There's a lot of really, really good stuff here. And I'm actually really excited to explain it to you guys. Okay. So first and foremost, there, as Faith is talking, there's actually a picture of a snake with a man's face on it behind her. And that's foreshadowing the end of the episode, what the mayor is eventually going to turn into. Um, and also foreshadows the idea that Faith tells Buffy essentially the key to stopping the mayor. Um, Okay, so it says the window is still broken. Clothes and weapons are laid out on the couch. There are packing boxes everywhere. Moving day. A cat jumps onto the bed. Buffy looks at it. Buffy says, who's going to look after him? And then Faith says, it's a she. And aren't these things supposed to take care of themselves? A higher power guiding us. And then Buffy says, there's something I'm supposed to be doing. Faith stops, looks out the window. The sunlight is gleaming. The dawn is gleaming on her face. It says, oh, yeah, miles to go. Little Miss Muffet counting down from 730. All right. So we've actually heard this phrase before. Buffy says it in the prom when she tells Giles, miles to go before we sleep. In light of spoilers, all I can say is this scene is massive foreshadowing for a couple of things that are happening later on. Basically, you should just pay attention whenever you hear this verbiage in the future. Uh, Keep an eye out for it in later seasons. But as far as what I can tell you is what's happening in this season is this, and this is, this might be a mild spoiler, but I don't think this is really giving away too much. The cat is actually supposed to symbolize the spirit of the Slayer. So since Buffy's death in the season one finale, the spirit of the Slayer has been shared with two individuals, Buffy and Kendra, then Buffy and Faith, with neither one having everything required to be at their full potential, which is why Buffy learns a lot from Kendra, which is why Buffy is also able to learn stuff from Faith and, and vice versa. This exchange between Buffy and Faith results in Buffy gaining full control of the Slayer's inherent resources, which is represented by the boxes of items all over Faith's apartment. So Buffy says to Faith, I can't use all of this stuff and, or I can't use some of this stuff. And Faith tells her, uh, this stuff is yours. Just take what you need. So the and you see like the crossbow on the bed behind them when they're talking. The idea is this is the literal slash metaphorical assimilation of Buffy and Faith. Buffy is actually assimilating with her shadow side, and I would say that Faith is assimilating a little bit with Buffy's, uh, I guess, light side for lack of a better term. 
The idea is that Buffy is taking what she can from faith, what she's learned from faith. And this works with Young's philosophy in that our shadow selves are not evil and they're not to be rejected, but that we are to take what we can use from them and ignore the rest. So in this sense, Buffy is taking the knowledge that she can gain from faith, the strength that she can gain from faith, and she's going to go on and move past that and ascend, essentially, like it's her day. Um and then uh, Joss described this se- sequence. He says, I think it was Buffy's dream, but that Faith was reaching out in it. Yeah, I think there's a part of Faith that wanted to tell Buffy that. So he, in his mind, he believes that this is actually Faith talking to Buffy. This isn't just like Buffy's manifestation of Faith. Because we know that slayers have prophetic dreams. And so if both of them are able to meet in a prophetic dream, I think that's completely, I mean, we saw it in Amends too with Buffy and an angel as well. So and essentially this, this moment is Buffy's learning to assimilate with her shadow self. There are things that Faith has taught her that she can use, but that doesn't mean that she has to be like Faith. And then Faith tells her about the mayor's weakness. And I think that confirms my theory that deep down Faith is actually good and wants to do the right thing. She didn't have to tell Buffy that. She knew that would be the mayor's undoing. So does that make more sense to you guys? Yep. Crystal clear now. <laughs> Are you still confused? I guess I understand it all. I think it's just kind of all, I guess the riddles and stuff, it just like makes my brain hurt. Well, glad I could clear all that up for you guys um, now that you're all more confused than you were before. So those of you who want to know more, uh, you know, just come back for the next several seasons until we finally get to whatever it is we're talking about. And then everybody who already knows, come to our spoiler section and let me know what you think this episode or this moment is talking about because I'm always down to seeing a little bit more. And then the fact that Buffy wakes up from the dream and then goes over and kisses Faith's forehead is just very, very significant because we had Faith kissing Buffy's forehead and enemies almost kind of like as a as a goodbye, our relationship is changing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm kind of passing the baton onto you. This is kind of like, again, this is Buffy recognizing things are changing. Our relationship is changing. It's just very tender. I love it. Okay. First of all, before I move on real quick, I've always been kind of confused that if this is Buffy and Faith's spirits or whatever kind of meeting in a dream together as Slayers, why would Faith give her the key to beat the master? Well, I said because I think Faith is basically good. I think Faith is good and deep down because it's the idea of the spirit of the slayer, the spirit of the slayer is is meant to do good, is meant to preserve the world. And so I think this is ultimately this this shows Faith's true spirit. She is a slayer. She's gonna ultimately do what's good at the end of the day. But is this like confirmed this is actually Faith? Yes, that's what Joss just said in that quote I just read. I just don't really buy it that she would tell her. I don't know. Well, I mean, good for her that she came through, but like <laughs> the whole season, I don't know. she's been tormenting everyone. Oh, here's the the key to taking down the mayor at the last possible moment. Well, remember what I said um, in graduation day part one, where you know Faith chooses to jump off the the building and go into the truck versus having Buffy have to kill her. I mean, I think there's a part of Faith that was doing it like, ha can't take me, you know, <laughs> can't take me, I'm the gingerbread man or whatever it's called. Uh, but she, I think there's also a part of Faith that was trying to make that decision, that choice for Buffy so Buffy wouldn't have to go all the way and kill her. So I think, I think there's been little hints here and there that Faith actually wants to do the right thing at the end of the day. But I don't know. 
listeners, what do you guys think? And maybe that'll be something we'll talk about in the spoiler section too. Like, do you guys think that this is actually faith in the dream? Do you think this is more of a metaphorical faith? Do you think this is an idea that just popped in Buffy's head? I don't know. I'm curious. Well, I love the fact that after that, their souls kind of connected in that way and they were in unity. Buffy was able to go over there. And I think that she hates the fact that she had to go that far with Faith. But I think it's like since they share a lot of similarities, I think that I like that we have that dream if it is Faith because there's no talking about necessarily what Buffy did. It's more of like Buffy's brain by seeing the knife, um, Faith's brain by seeing herself on the bed as like we had that moment where it's like I think that Faith understands why Buffy did what she did. Um, And so Buffy Buffy walking over there and kind of giving her a kiss on the forehead is by being like, I care about you. And it's kind of like a a goodbye in Buffy's brain. Yeah. And the the recognition that they're both connected at the end Mm -hmm. of the day, no matter how opposite they are in terms of whether one's good or evil or whatever, they, at the end of the day, have a deep understanding and connection that they can't share with anybody else. And I think that's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And well, the fact that no one else saw them have like this quote unquote closure, um, but them two while they're sleeping. Well, I think later on, later on the episode, like Willow asks, where'd you get this information? And Buffy says, Faith told me. I think it's pretty much directly said that it actually is Faith. Yeah. Um, so Buffy walks out to the gang, still wearing her iconic red pants. I'm glad that we saw them one last time. I forget that we see them in the shot. I'm like, oh, goodbye, red pants. I mean, I feel like they would have like cut them off of her to put on her hospital gown, but whatever. No, they're still alive somewhere. <laughs> well, I mean, they she wasn't wearing them when she was wearing her hospital gown. She put them back on. But they also didn't really look like they were like tight, tight. They looked a little bit like somewhat looser. She lost all that blood. <laughs> She's able to slip them on afterwards. They like purposely don't cut them out. They're like, we'll save your jeans for later. They're like, we can tell these are really expensive. We will do yeah. whatever and make sure we take them off. <laughs> you don't look like you make a lot of money. We'll keep them for you. Uh, Buffy walks out and tells him that she's ready. And then they ask her for what? And she says, war. I'd be like, girl, t- take a little nap. It's okay. We have a few hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Again, the whole where's Angel Oz, he had to leave, got kind of Sunny. Again, they're making multiple references to the idea that Sunny, Sunnydale, like Angel is not welcome here anymore. Angel doesn't fit in here. And then, I mean, even when he was breaking up with her, he says, you belong with someone who can take you into the light. Angel feels like he doesn't fit into Buffy's life anymore and he needs to leave. And then poor Snyder is like standing in like an empty graduation commencement area, just like looking at all the diplomas. Like, what was the point of the shot? He's just sitting there staring at nothing. <laughs> I thought about that. I was like, okay, and? Like, we didn't even have any, like, lines. We had to give him a moment with the diplomas before he dies. One last shot. Before the students completely are out of his control. He's mourning the loss of, you know, all of the students his he's harassed power. for three years. I can't yeah, wait till we get to, like, his, like, comments that he makes at, like, graduation. Oh, my gosh. So funny. They really, funny. like, had to throw in a few other funny lines before he really, you know, gets to miss Snyder. Well, you already know that, like, Snyder was so mad that, like, Willow, Xander, and Buffy were graduating because he's, like, <laughs> Who am I going to blame all the issues exactly. on anymore? I feel exactly. like Snyder dying at the end of this episode was something that I remember being like, 
oh, like Slider dies? Like, I don't know. I just feel like he's kind of like a cockroach that you just kind of thought would live forever. <laughs> it's so true. The Leah's one like, that kind of like barricades in like a crack of like the wall in a house you never notice pops in and out and you're like, where the hell did it go? And then just sneaks back in again. <laughs> the gross brown ones that like somehow like can avoid everything. Even after like we've gone through like the fifth world war and everyone's <laughs> shooting missiles at each other we're all dead like it'll so be the last, yeah it'll be the last thing to, to <laughs> crawl out of like some like shoe in the library we catch at the very end of buffy telling them her plan we don't know what the plan is yet she tells xander that he's the key to all of this then we have that infamous line where cordelia is saying like oh i don't think there could be a crazier plan and then oz goes we attack the mirror with hummus <laughs> I stand correct. I'll never see it coming. <laughs> um, it's interesting that she says that Xander is the key figure. Do you think this because he can go and kind of like rally people? Like, why is he the key? Because he has he has all this military experience from that one time that he, you know. But how? But how does bombing something really have to do with like, or maybe getting in to get the supplies? Is that what she's implying? Like they did in Innocence? No, Xander is supposed to be the tactician in the sense that he has to go around and he has to gather the army. You know, he's the one that goes and talks to Harmony. Well, I guess Willow goes and talks to Percy. But then that's he's what I'm also saying. the like, one. It's not just him. No, but he's the one that's saying, all right, everybody flamethrowers. All right, now we're going to do weapons over here. Like he has to be the one directing them because Buffy I, can't do true. that. I will say – I love this show, but one thing I will never understand yep. <laughs> is how much they milk Xander's "quote unquote" military His one experience episode from yeah. literally one episode. I remember the first time I watched this; I barely remembered that episode, and I would always call back to like, "Oh yeah, my my military experience, all this stuff." And I was like, "Bro, did I miss something? Like, did I miss some big storyline where Andrew, not Andrew, but what, where Xander was in the military or something?" I was like. So confused for so long. And then I went back and I remember we watching and I saw this episode and I was like, not this episode, but that episode. And I remember being like, this is it. This is the episode you guys have been calling back to. Like, it also just makes no sense because I'm like, Buffy didn't come out of that with some otherworldly, like, Victorian era experience and knowledge. Like, uh, it, I, I know it's such a plot device and I know they're doing it because they want to give like Xander a leg up, but it's just, it's such a stretch for me. I'm like, guys, uh, we're like a season and a half later. Like no one <laughs> remembers that. I just think it's stupid because I feel like anybody could have done what Xander does in that moment. I feel like someone could have been like, all right, everybody, I, or like leave it up to the students. Like, okay, we get that we have to start shooting our flamethrowers right now. Or we get that we have to like, like even Oz looks back at one moment and goes, uh, Xander, when he sees all the vampires coming, why did Oz just be like, all right, everybody behind me, let's go. There's, there's vampires over here. Get put your like, Put your fire on your arrows and start shooting. I don't know. It's just stupid, especially because he had that whole thing as a hyena. And it's like, oh, I don't remember that at all. And we're like, okay, well, you have very selective memory here, Xander. Buffy tells them that Faith told her to play on his human weakness. Um, and then it, I love how, like, it took them so long to figure this out. Like, what could be his human weakness? Hmm. Angel, you've been around him one more time than us. So what do you think? Well, I mean, like, I think they're like, 
the mayor's evil. He can't possibly like care for someone. They're thinking his human weakness is going to be something like power or money or not that like he cares for someone, you know? So I kind of understand the logic of this. I don't know. My first thought would be Faith, especially since they know that he attacked Angel and Buffy in the hospital. Like clearly he's upset that Faith was beaten up and almost killed by Buffy. I'd I probably put two and two that. together. I don't think they know that, though. They weren't there. I think that it's hard for us to sometimes put ourselves in the shoes of the characters because we're able to see what everybody is going through, what everybody is doing. So I don't think it's that far of a stretch. Although I will say, Cordelia had the same idea we did. She was like, hey, we attack them with germs. And I was like, hey, our cough in the box. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We pin him down and we sneeze on him. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Bubby says. (laughs) I feel like Cordelia's plan isn't awful. I mean, she's at least thinking outside the box. <laughs> she's like, we'll just put a box and write Ebola on it. Like, that's really And then convincing. chase him with the box. <laughs> um, Angel tells him that Faith is the key. And then Wesley comes in and offers his help. Um, Buffy says the council is not welcome here. And he says, I'm not here for the council. Just tell me how I can help. I feel like this was pretty big of Wesley. Totally. I mean, I kind of agree with Cordelia here. She's like, isn't he classy? We're like, well, I don't know about classy, but this is a decent thing. I feel like there's hope for you yet, Wesley. Then we have this montage where Buffy's kind of telling them the game plan. And again, we don't know many too, too many details. Let me cut over to the mayor, um, giving one two to his vamps. We see a map being brought up, tells them that they can't feed. Um, if he sees them snacking, he's going to take them to the wood chipper, as he says. <laughs> Buffy asks Oz and Will about the killing plan, and they said Xander can get the materials, but they don't know what. But we don't know what it is yet that they're going to do that's gonna kill the mayor. They kind of implied that it has to be on the same level as the volcano killing because it's going to be something massive. So this is really building up to some big momentum that we're expecting. I I'm pretty sure Joss always knew he wanted to blow up the school because Willow actually mentions it in the harvest and then Xander does and I only have eyes for you. He's like, we can blow up the school when it was taken over by like think the wasps and the snakes and stuff. So I think Joss was kind of like putting in little hints here and there. I don't know if it's necessarily hints, only because everyone kind of fantasizes about their high school blowing up so they can graduate early. <laughs> I definitely Do they, did. Debbie? Tell us more no, about this. <laughs> no, I'm saying that everyone. We've all like, been there. <laughs> I'm not just saying that. It literally was like a running gag in high school, and I've talked to other people where it's like, "What if like there was a fire? Then we'd all graduate early. Like we wouldn't have to take the final exam." That's everyone true. talked about that. Yeah, especially if you're in Sunnydale, I'd be like, "Please <laughs> blow up, so I don't have to keep coming back." Seriously, I'm moving to a new school. Thank you. Um, the last part of the montage, the mayor is like, "All right, you guys, boys." Get at it. And then he's like, let's watch the swearing, please. (laughs) Which is hilarious because he even like – he even abides by his own rules because even when he's a giant snake and he's in the library, he's like, well, gosh. (laughs) Gosh, it's not cursing, Sarah. (laughs) Well, no, I just think it's funny because like you're literally about to die. Like no one can hear you. And like I think that's about the time for a nicely placed F-bomb. I I thought you said like he like broke his own rule. I was like, how was that breaking your own rule? Oh, no, I you, said he didn't. He's like, gosh, diddly darn. And Sarah's like, whoa. <laughs> I'm all I think is cap language. <laughs> yeah, literally. I don't really curse more than just like the small ones, um, like the bare minimum ones, because I think those ones are just funny words. 
But like when I'm in traffic, things fly out of my mouth. Fly. Like it, yeah. I I don't I don't curse at all. But it's just so funny. Like ones that I've never said out loud ever, just they just come out. I don't like I don't know what it is. Or if I drop something, I'll sometimes I'll be at work, I'll be in the back room and under my breath. I'll just say, I'm like, I can't stop it. Like, it just, I don't know Shame, what Tony. it is about my default. No one can hear it. It's literally, guilty. I just mouth it. But it's just, I'm like, I'm Tabby's like, he's like, fudge. <laughs> and you're like, oh, dang it, Tabby. I have a pretty good lid on my mouth until you get me in the car. And then literally all bets are off. Like, it is so bad. <laughs> like, so bad. I don't know what it is, but it's just like, and it's so stupid too, because like, I mean, this is such a tangent, but like, I'll cut someone off and then they get mad and I'm like, it wasn't even that bad. And it's so cuts his, cuts me off and I'm like, ah! like I'm yelling at them and all this stuff. Like it's not even reasonable. Yeah, it's always the little things that set you off and all of a sudden like stuff just flies out of your mouth. And you're like, who am I? Um, so in the school, Xander kind of pulls Harmony aside. He's like, hey, I need to talk to you for a second. And she's like, you mean in front of other people? <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I love that they use all of the minor characters that we've seen mm-hmm. throughout the episodes in this entire season and even the seasons past. I and mean, we have Percy, we have mm-hmm. Harmony, we have Jonathan, we have Larry. Like it just it it feels like you care about these characters. I mean, and it's, it's also so kind fun. of bittersweet though because you're seeing some of them die. I'm like, oh shoot, oh. Um, uh, uh, Leah, we hadn't gotten there yet. I don't want to talk about it. I'm just happy Percy didn't die. I'd be really sad. Um, but she like walks up to Percy and he's like trying out his graduating gown, like completely roasting it. And he's like, he's like, be honest, do I look stupid? And she's like, um, not right now, Percy. Yeah. <laughs> she's like his pseudo mom. She's like, you look great. Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm not one to skip into the library scene. I'm not one to be uncomfortable when people kiss on screen. It really doesn't bother me. I don't really care. Um, Alexis and Charisma did way too good of a job to make this so freaking uncomfortable. It's the body language for me. Like the, there's like throat noises, there's smacking, there's breathing, like everything that they could think of that makes listening to somebody kiss, watching somebody kiss uncomfortable, they put all of it in there. Like they're barely moving their mouths at a certain point. At the end, they're just their faces are just squished together. They look so uncomfortable. Yeah, you just made me relive the entire scene again. Thanks, Sabs. <laughs> no, but I'm saying they just did such a good job of making everything uncomfortable about watching somebody kiss. Like, yeah, that we remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And then I love how they both are just aware. She's like, good luck in England. He's like, yes, I'll drop you a line sometime. That'll be neat. Oh, yeah. The whole, like, we're never going to talk to each other ever again. Like, Way to be friend zoned, and it was like equal on both sides. You could tell both of them were like, "No, this yep. is this is not going to work out." It's funny because Alexis Denisoff was talking about how like in every kiss that you have on screen, they're always like, "This has to be the most magnetic, the most amazing, most passionate kiss." And so he's like, "You're always working at how can I make this kiss like the best thing ever?" And he goes, "It was so nerve wracking to have someone say recreate the worst kiss." And he was like, "How do you even?" do that. And so he says it was really hard because they both kept cracking up between takes. And so it took him a little bit to actually get it because it I was feel just like funny. if anything though, that'd be so nice though, knowing the pressure because it's like no one is gonna be expecting this to be good. There's so much pressure to make kisses look good and like yeah. appealing and sexy and intense that it's like 
getting the prompt of like, make this look awful is kind of like probably something fun. I got to say, they are both like more melodramatic than I thought they were going to be. He's like, Cordelia. She's like, yes. He's like, you know that when this is over, yes, we should, well, should we prevail? I'll be returning to England. I know. And then he's like, there's no place for me here anymore. And she's like, I guess not. <laughs> it's such like a buildup to a romantic kiss, which is what kills me. It's because like all these lines have been said before and other movies and TV shows. And it's like yes. the hottest kiss after that. And the fact that it's just the most uncomfortable thing ever. It's so funny. Um, And then outside in the parking lot, Jonathan and Larry are helping pack up or take away some stuff that we don't quite know what it is what it is yet. I think we can kind of put clues together um, yeah. because they're packing up these like big bags worth of like looks like gunpowder. <laughs> they're like, hmm, what and like is a crate. This? They're going to um, go replant the lawn. That's what but it is. They, it's fertilizer. They look, I think what's unnerving is they look so business in this scene. Like Larry and Jonathan are so serious, and like you don't really see Jonathan like this. He's usually like uncomfortable, and he's very like. Um, not very Just confident in his jumpy. presence or his body. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so yeah. the fact that he's like very one track mind is very weird to see. Um, and then seeing them to interact with each other, I think this is just like the perfect idea for the ending of a high school three season arc because it's like all these characters, all these individuals and people that supposedly were together for four years and maybe beforehand in elementary schools, like. They're all just kind of like working with each other in unity and it seems very cohesive. It feels very natural. And I love that. It's like, I feel like high school is just a hard time for people. I mean, I will say at least for me in high school, most of my class did not like each other, but you got us to rally against something and suddenly we were all best friends. Like, yeah. <laughs> like if yeah. like we had to come together and like, I think there was like one point in high school where we thought that we were going to get our grad night taken away. Those people turned into my best friends real quick. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, we all were right? like, you know, mm-hmm. like, but it, that really is how high school is. Like you all, a lot of you don't like each other, but you all are forced to have shared experiences and that is going yeah. to bond you. And so it's like yeah. they all have watched fellow classmates die and they've watched crazy experiences and they've also seen Buffy save them. And so to finally have a chance to kind of fight, like, I think even if they hated each other, they're like, yeah, we'll do it. But I think this really works because we've seen them start to kind of um, face the fourth wall in the high school. You know, it's like things are starting to kind of creep through, crack through. They're starting to like the fights are being taken on campus now, um, especially like the prom and earshot and um homecoming and all these other ones i really feel like are um ones that are or even a uh, beating the beast it's like all these things are starting to happen on campus a little bit more so than they were in the first two seasons there were some in the first two seasons but it could have been argued in a lot of ways and we saw them kind of cover it up but i really feel like this is so believable oz asks willow if she's nervous um willow says that she's only terrified and then Oz kind of reassures her, says, we're going to make it through this. And Will's like, are you sure? And he's like, well, I sound pretty sure, don't I? <laughs> like how she's like, was that just a comforting way of not <laughs> answering the question? And he's just like, kiss me. <laughs> and you're like, okay, Oz, see right through there, bud. 
And they're like, how long until graduation? I love how they're just sitting in the van waiting for graduation to happen. I know. On school property. <laughs> I with know. Snyder roaming around. There's no way <laughs> on earth with Snyder looking for drugs that I would be in a van that looks really sketch, having car sex. And Snyder, like, comes – no, that'd be, like, my worst nightmare. No, thank even you. Even then, I feel like even if Snyder did catch him, I feel like Oz would somehow find a way to talk his way out of it. I feel like he likes Oz out of all of them. But I feel like if you're going to have car sex, a van would be the best one. You know, there's more room. And it's not like – I don't think that they'd really see anything because it's blacked out. So, I mean, good for them, I guess. I just, like, uh, like school parking lot. I'm like, ugh. I mean, you know, you're, you might you might be dying. That's true, actually, yeah. Oh, and this library office scene. I know. Angel asks how she is, and she stops and says, I heal fast like you. And then as she's kind of small talking, he kind of interrupts and just blazes in and says, I'm not going to say goodbye. I'm like, Angel, baby, I understand. But it's like, why do you have to kind of like make decisions to make it easier on both of them when you could just kind of be like, Make your say your goodbye now just in case something happens. But it's like, I don't know. Well, I think he's trying to say, I think they both realize that if they say goodbye, that he might not actually leave. It's just so painful for them. It's just easier if he just takes off instead of like, there's a finality to goodbye as well. If I don't say goodbye, then that means we leave it open ended. You know what I mean? I just, I don't know. I understand the sentiment. Uh, Buffy's outfit here is really cool. It's kind of a blend of. Buffy and Faith. The red leather jacket is kind of the style and color that we're used to seeing on Buffy. The fact that it's longer, but it, because about it's that leather, too, that it kind of was very like the f- culmination of both of their fits. And I think it, I think it's also trying to show like, yes, Faith is out of the picture, but like, like Buffy is still carrying a part of Faith. Yep. Like, What's like the whole Faith assimilation kind of touched thing. her. Yeah. It also looks like a graduation gown too like the red yeah it's the same color as the school colors which i picked Mm -hmm. up too that's kind of like a cool touch and it's a jacket not the pants which they could have done but the fact that it's like the same length as like like the gown look and it kind of it really works together um and then buffy has her whole hand of pain like he's explaining why he's like not gonna say goodbye and then she just kind of raises her hand up to stop him like it's too much and i love that like when he walks away Buffy looks down like as if she's like processing. But as they're doing that, like the framing, like I feel like the bandaging on her neck is so prominent. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I'm thinking like it's just the scar, a fresh wound of the breakup, a fresh wound of them um, not being together, a fresh wound of their relationship, like how hard it's been, like the pain – that he just has taken so much out of her. Like this relationship has meant so much to her. Um, and she feels like physically emptier. And then the graduation music. <laughs> so traumatizing. Snyder, congratulations to the class of 1999. You've all proved more or less adequate. There is time for line. celebration. So <laughs> sit still. He doesn't even try to like hide or like. Be nice in front of the parents. Like, he is just so over this class. He's like, sit still, be quiet. Spit out that gum. And he's like, please welcome our distinguished guest speaker, Sunnydale's own The whiplash. And he's like, I saw that gesture. You see me after graduation. Like, what's he (laughs) going to do? That killed me. This fool's like, yeah, bye. I'm gone. (laughs) I wish we saw that student because I can just imagine them being like, F you. (laughs) And then he's sitting up there being like, I saw that. (laughs) I I feel like that was Percy. 
He's over there just like – because we've seen him chew his gum constantly and then he's That's like over true. there like flipping him off. <laughs> <laughs> I love how that when like the mirror comes out, I love the stylistic choice of the angle because we're kind of being seen as where Buff is sitting. Like that's where the camera is um, when we're looking and gazing at the mirror is what I'm trying to say. I feel like that's where they're sitting, the camera, where it's supposed to be from Buffy's point of view. And you keep seeing the mayor like glancing over where Buffy is seated. Yeah. Yep. And I didn't pick that up until this rewatch. I was like, oh, like that's so smart because we know where Buffy is seating because they glanced over there a couple of times and that's where Willow is supposed to be seated too. And he keeps just like looking over there when he, especially when he's saying like, not everyone's here today. Some people should mm-hmm. be here that aren't here. He's looking straight at Buffy. Well, I mean, he's mad. Like you really see it. Like he was going to have faith there with him on this day. And, and you can just see like he's ready to kill Buffy. I love like the the click moment where they're like, he's going to do the whole speech, isn't he? (laughs) The script says, Willow scurries into her seat next to Buffy. As Oz slips into his further back, Buffy looks at Will, whose hair is luxuriantly must. (laughs) I love how Willow's all like, am I late? Did we fight? What do you think, Willow? (laughs) We're all just sitting here. We we came to a truce. We decided that we're just going to continue on. The mayor's not going to send. It's all good. Yada, yada. (laughs) We've decided that um, he is not going to... Ascend. And yeah, she's like, we, oh, okay. we told him. <laughs> Buffy gave him a stern talking to, and he yes. said, "Oh, I'm sorry. You are right." And now he's going to let us all graduate. So yeah, he came to the conclusion that he's been wrong this whole time, and there was some good growth. A tear was shed here and there, and we're good now. Oh, yeah. and Angel's human now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ended the show. Well, yay! The mayor's speech is actually really good. Like what he's saying actually is super relevant to. Not only their graduation, but like the ending of this phase of the show. Um, in an interview, Joss said that the mayor's speech was a chance to use the big bad in order to say something that he actually meant about what the show has been about a journey. I love that he's kind of like using his term of ascending um, by meaning like they ascend into the world, they change, they evolve as well. And I love that mm-hmm. he kind of did that. I kind of wanted to hear the rest of his speech. I was bummed with him. He's like starting yeah, to change. Really the good. happens. He's like, oh, this is something sooner than expected. It brings up his like half an inch thick <laughs> notes. All right. So let's just get it out of the way. The CGI is not great. Everyone can attest to this. I think this is probably the worst CGI yet because it's on such a large scale. Um, but it is really interesting to note that this was not the an actual effect that they were going for initially. This was their kind of their backup plan. So Harry Groner said this of the transformation scene. He says, there was a funny moment during the graduation when the mayor's transformation is supposed to happen. They built a suit that was supposed to break apart a la the Hulk. To try to accomplish that, they rigged it in a way that to either side of me, away from the camera so you couldn't see it, there were two people. Each person had, I'd say, between 10 and 12 fishing lines that they had to pull at a certain moment to make this effect happen. And they worked on this and they worked on this and they worked on this, these poor people, for the longest time. Well, we get to it and it's supposed to happen and I feel these tugs and things go right and left and right and left and none of it happened. It didn't work. So they yell out, cut, and they try it again cut, cut, and it just did not work. Over and over and over these poor people, it was hours and hours setting this stuff up and figuring it out and trying to get it and none of it worked. Eventually, they decided to just shoot it in front of a green screen and even then it didn't really work the way it was supposed to work. It really was funny at the time. Everybody was watching the whole graduating class sitting there with their weapons under their gowns 
waiting to have this big, huge final battle. And we get to that bit and it just wouldn't happen. It'd be so funny. People would be cracking up. And of course, it was a night shoot and it was a working high school that we shot at and we had to get out before classes started. So when we finally yelled rap and we we all had to go, it was a mad dash to clear the set. What was funny about that was the sun hadn't come up yet. It was slowly coming up, and so it seemed like everyone was trying to get underground before the sun came up like vampires. That's funny. I mean, like, the CGI isn't great, but it doesn't take me out of the episode. I mean, honestly, I may get some hate for this, but the CGI is just as good as the big, uh, like, monster in the sixth Star Wars movie. Whoa, shots fired. You aren't wrong, though. (laughs) Wait, what? You know when Luke is fighting that big monster at Jabba the Hutt's, like, little place? Oh, like the worm? Yeah, but that's, like, an animatronic, though. Like, this one is, like, actual CGI. Nope, that was an animatronic. It's all CGI. You can tell. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about, you know, when, like, The newer they- ones? <laughs> no, 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 no. I I knew she was talking about the sixth one. I thought she was talking about when, like, um, Jango Fett falls into that, like, pit. And then that, like, uh, animatronic, like, um spider-looking thing eats him. I thought it was that. Because that doesn't look bad. Yeah. I think it's just, unfortunately, was a product of its time. Yeah. It, it's very, it's very and obvious. And for a TV series. Like, I mean, I've watched The Mummy too. I'm no stranger to really yeah, bad graphics. Right. But it's not the point. You it's know? not the point, but it's also like everything else is great about it. And it, and even in that, like the rock, like Yaki looks like a bad CGI version from like a <laughs> um, PS3 villain in a video game yes it looks really bad but it's also the last like 15 minutes it'd be different if it was the entire movie same thing with this like he's only on screen for like 10 minutes tops tops probably five minutes tops to be honest the snake in yeah no not even i think it's it's maybe a minute it's like three shots of him and that's it's really not bad Passion of the Nerd says this about this moment. Um, He says, you have to understand that the mayor represents institutionalized control, not totally unlike the same systems of cultural control the Watchers Council represents that both Buffy and Giles freed themselves from and helpless, and as evidenced by the mayor turning into a giant snake to consume the students, is male-dominated. And he uses the example of snakes being penis metaphors and the fact that Mayor Wilkins' name can be shortened to Dick. So then the ascension is a sort of cultural indoctrination, and the children are to be consumed by these tedious, mindless, homogenized institutions into adulthood. Call the ascension then the metaphorical shedding of individuality in the name of cultural homogeny by a giant demon penis. Most of this is reflected in faith in the mayor's relationship. Society seduces us through our dark desires, our anxieties, and compulsions, but in return demands our obedience." I thought that was really well said. What's the point of having all these penis metaphors? Like, I really feel like they could have done it in a different way. Like, what is the point? The point is, this is a feminist show, and it's it's against the patriarchy. And so I know, but why have- a penis metaphor? Just have like, <laughs> like just him as a character is already misogyny incarcerated. I get it, but it's like and the show does like, like it's snake monsters, doesn't it? I know, but it just it ruins it. I'm like, ew. Can, can it just be a snake? Like, <laughs> like she calls him Dick too, which is funny. Like, yeah, it's like, okay, like we're really breaking the fourth wall of the metaphor here, which is funny, but I'm like, oh, <laughs> I just can't. I just, in this moment when everybody pulls off their robes oh, and Buffy so says, good. now gives me chills. And I, all I can think about is 
the comparison and the contrast to Anne, where Buffy was alone and she thought she had to do everything alone, mm-hmm. versus now she's together with the community that she's fought to protect. And just this idea of like serving in an authority position and caring for people, like that's what real authority looks like. And it's just, it's come full circle and I love it. What a great way to end the three seasons, like everyone being in yeah. it together. Like it's just so good. Like they all like rip it off. And then the fact that they all were prepared underneath, like, and as that's happening, we see like a corner of vampires popping up. Some of the kids um, run away because they're too scared, which I like that they put that in because it's like there's no way everyone would be okay with like fighting and like they should dying. all the parents take off and run, uh, that was I the think- funniest gag to me. <laughs> the, all the adults are like, we're getting out, leaving our children. I think it's beautiful, especially after prom, because yeah. like it was all this recognition of all the work that Buffy has done, and then to see them kind of like almost honoring her and just being like, "We're gonna fight alongside you now." I think is beautiful. Totally, and it's important to see things like the prom and earshot because they had to be aware of what Buffy was doing in order for them to want to follow her and for them to want to actually like listen to what she had to say, you know? I love like the fire arrows. I think that the the way that they dusted the vamps was such a cool like edit. It was slightly different than normal dusting and it was so cool. I love that they did that. Um and then having like me- many different like fronts, like Xander has his own like little section with Larry. And then we have this cool like shot that's definitely leading up to Angel the series where it's like angels in the front. Mm-hmm. And then we have Wesley on the side and then Percy. And then they come in and Angel, I really feel like they focused a ton on his like fighting choreography because it was like really good. I, like I kept looking at like the stuntman. He was doing such a good job. But it's because they're trying to get people excited for Angel. That's why. Well, he he was literally like the only one fighting all these vamps, and he's the only one without a weapon. Everyone had a weapon, and they were showing how he's just using his fists, which I thought was kind of cool. I think what makes it the most sad that Larry is dying is the fact that you see him so diligently like fighting against the mayor, and that's what's so sad. Like he had like a flame torch or whatever, and flame then thrower. he yeah, and then he like throws that away, gets out like a whole spear. And then the tail whips him off and he crashes to the floor. It's so sad. I love Larry. R.A.P. Larry. You are a great character. The patriarchy taking him out. <laughs> Just <kidding. Yeah. laughs> the, the only gay dude. Poor Larry. Death by penis. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Snyder victim blaming the kids instead of the mayor. He's like, oh, my gosh. How dare you bring weapons? And there's like a giant snake right there. Snyder is so like focus laser focus on all the wrong things you know what you know his whole like i'm the one in charge here totally reminded me of james franco in spider-man 2 and he's like i'm in charge here and then oh, he's so and embarrassing in that movie <laughs> james franco in general is embarrassing i'm like he went for leave. camp in that video or in that movie oh my gosh and then at the very end he's like this is all Spider-Man's fault. And we're like, okay, oh, Harry. Him as Harry was so annoying. It was cringe for sure. I feel like the third movie was okay. But like, yeah, him as like bratty Harry, it just, yeah. I love those movies. Don't get me wrong, guys. No, they're Don't good. No, I, those Don't are like my, you know, my childhood, my comfort. I'm a Spidey fan. So like, I get it. But him as Harry. Also, I wanted to say I love how Buffy continues to have like amazing 
tie-ins with the culture around us and stuff. This is a um, spoiler for Multiverse of Madness. You guys have both seen it, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Spoiler for Multiverse of Madness for anybody who hasn't seen it. Sorry. But I love like the whole idea. I was talking with Andrew about like how they kind of like pulled a Buffy with the doppelgangers or not the doppelgangers, but like with the different dimensions versions of them where you had different Wanda's, different Stranges and how they had the multiple different Stranges as a way to explore Strange himself without making him fully evil. And I was like, oh, this is a lot like season three of Buffy. They create faith so that they don't have to go full evil with Buffy, but we get, we still get to see kind of like who Buffy could be and kind of like what her nature is and like all this stuff. So I thought it was kind of cool. There's a lot of things in um, Multiverse of Madness that gives me Buffy vibes. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I'm a whore for those storylines. I love them. Yes, I agree. So cool. And I love that Buffy looks very concerned. Like she sees, I mean, very, you know, rightfully so. Like she's seeing like one of her classmates or two of them at this point we've seen are dying. Um, and then we see like the Snyder getting eaten and then she goes fall back, get back. And then she tells Willow to go and Willow says good luck. Xander gets everyone away. Um, Angel's still kicking butt. And then we see the whole crowd of kids run down the stairs towards the vampires. I, I love, love this that scene. moment. And you see Jonathan kind of like get in his moment of being like, a he's feeling it. it. He's in the moment. He's in his fighter mode. And he like goes flying i <laughs> love it it's so empowering mm-hmm. and a split moment we see harmony get bitten as well oh well bye harmony oh <laughs> oh armin shimmerman who plays principal snyder has this to say he says when they finally did kill me off they did exactly what i asked joss to do which was to have me eaten when i knew that they were going to graduate from school i didn't know how they were going to graduate but i knew that they were seniors and were graduating and i knew that i was no longer needed i said listen i know you're going to have to get rid of me one way or another but i want to be eaten because flutie was eaten and they agreed to my wishes which i think is so funny i totally forgot to mention that wesley ran in so confidently and then got knocked down immediately. Oh my because gosh. I, during this epic moment, I can just imagine everyone like running over him and he's lying there being like, help, I can't get up. So, okay, the funny story with this. So Joss actually gave Alexis Denisoff the option of having Wesley have a heroic moment or have him be knocked down immediately. Joss was like, hey, like we can give you this big moment and stuff. And Alexis is like, no, I want him to be knocked out immediately and miss the entire fight. Which – Literally such a genius choice because it is so on brand. I will say every single way that people either die or like fight in this episode is extremely on character. Yeah. But okay. So the funny part about this is there's actually an interview. um, This is actually only like a few years back where Allison's talking about this and she had a major crush on Alexis at this point. And when she found out graduation day, he was going to be coming on set and he's going to be there for this. She was so excited because she was like, we get to hang out that entire night. Like it's going to be so much fun. We're going to have a blast. And then he showed up and decided to get punched and knocked out. And he literally just filmed that one scene and was like, okay, bye, everybody, and then left set. And she was so angry because she's like, we could have hung out and like done all this sort of stuff together. And he just literally showed up for one scene. He got knocked out. And in the um, in the interview, it's so funny because she goes, thanks for reminding me of that to the interviewer. She's like, now I'm, I now am reminded by why I was so angry at him. I'm going to go home and tell him. <laughs> I'd also like to give a moment to Cordelia, 
who stakes her very first and last vampire on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She looks so good doing it too. She looks like she's done this a million times before. She looks very confident. I'm very happy for her. I have really mixed feelings every time I see that moment because Mm -hmm. on the season three DVD, Joss revealed that since Charisma Carpenter was leaving Buffy to transfer to Angel, she asked if Cordelia could kill a vampire during the final battle, so she got her wish. But I've seen an interview between Joss, some writers, a few actors, including Charisma, and Joss asks Charisma, he goes, hey, do you remember why you were able to stake a vamp? And Charisma says, because I was nice to you. And he says, yeah, you were the only person that was nice to me that night. So I decided to let you go and stake a vampire. And I, it just, it gives me the ick every time I think about it. Like, He's like, I'll I'll allow it. I'll let you do this one thing because you're nice. Based on your behavior for me, I'm going to reward you. Yeah. Yeah. Because I have the power. I just, I can't. I can't even. So, you know, whether or not that, wherever that moment came from, I'm happy that the character Cordelia got that moment. It was a good Um, moment for her. Yes. It sucks that Charisma had to go through that. It's like, at this point, it's like there's so many incriminalizing evidence. From Joss, especially towards Charisma, there's nothing I can do to fix that. Um, it sucks to hear about. Buffy kind of yells up at the mayor after that and taunts him with a knife. She brings it out still sticky from Faith's blood. She says, I stuck it in her gut. It just slid in her like she was butter. You want to get it back from me? And then the way she says dick is so funny. She's like, <laughs> yeah, it's very much pointed. Double entendre right there. But I like the fact that like Buffy has a lot more confidence now because she's like, I took Faith away from you and you were not ready for that. Mm-hmm. And she's like, and I'm a lot more prepared for this than you think I am. This has na-na-na-na-na energy on it. <laughs> Come and get it. Then she starts running all the way through the school. And I love that rather than just straight up blowing up the school, we get a little like last tour yeah, right into the library. Um, She runs through the library. And I feel like these graphics are a lot better than just having him ascend. Like having him go through and then even him yeah, popping was through the library. Good. Yeah, it was pretty decent. Like having it pop through the walls. Um, And then she just sprints through. We kind of see like the back annex where all of like the books are taken out. And so we can kind of clue in. Yeah, the script is funny. It says... Through jumping to the second level, the camera holding her in close up the whole time so we can never really see the room and out the back door. I'm like, no, come on. We want to see what's up there. Never been able to actually see it. Um, And then we finally see the whole of the library filled with explosives. And the mayor goes, well, gosh. (laughs) And then Buffy runs out through the back window. And then Giles pulls down the lever and the poor high school explodes. Room go boom. And I will say it's very poetic that Giles is the Mm -hmm. one who inevitably blows up the library. You know it was him who was like, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be me. Yep, exactly. Did you guys see Jonathan holding Courtney? I was about to say, yes. Yes. Like he was trying to protect her. So according to Danny Strong, he says it was Charisma's idea for Cordelia to cling to Jonathan when the school exploded. Her reason being that they hadn't had any significant scenes together. I thought that was really precious. Love that. Could you imagine being a resident of Torrance at 5 a.m. and all of a sudden, like, you know, windows are shattering and car alarms what are going off? What did they actually explode? Um, they blew up the clock tower that they built for Earshot. 
Um, and then a couple other like interior and exterior sets. So Carrie Meyer talks about it actually. He says, we built the clock tower set on top of the school actually and then built an interior set. And then knowing that we might need it again, we left it up there and secured it. And then not knowing that we would blow it up necessarily, but knowing that we maybe needed another shot on it or whatever, we decided to leave it. And then Joss obviously came up with his finale and we were going to blow up the front of the school originally. We wanted to have a huge explosion at the front of the school, but there was a host of problems with that. One being that we would have to do it pretty much all digitally because there's four huge pine trees at the Torrance High School location. There was nothing we could do to really protect them. So in the end, we decided, well, we just can't blow up the front of the school. Joss really wanted it, which is why we did a smaller close shot where the front door of the school blows up, which we did with a series of effects, one being a small fireball actually shot practically in front of the school. But then we also built a facade of the school, which we shot against black and actually blew it up and then matted. Not really matted, but we just did it double exposure of the two elements so you actually see some elements of the school sort of blowing up towards you. Then just doubled them together to give us the sign, you know, that says Sunnydale High into the front doors so you really know where we were. But then the big explosion happened happened in the fountain courtyard, which was a lot of fun to conceive of. So it sounds like they did several different things, like the explosions you saw when Buffy's like running inside. My guess is they probably actually did blow those doors and then just superimpose Sarah Michelle Gellar in front of them is my guess. Um, And then obviously you see the clock tower exploding. So there's a couple different things that they exploded. There's another quote by David Conniff, the set decorator, who talks about the day that they actually were going to like blow up things. He says, in response to the guy interviewing him about blowing up the library, he says, we got it wrong. We had to keep doing it because Joss couldn't tell it was a bomb. So we had to do it twice. We shot the explosion after the company had wrapped for the season. We reshot the bomb. There was almost no library there whatsoever. The entire set had been struck except for that little portion that you saw when the demons look at the library. Blowing up the school was fun. It was a 20-hour day. I drank so much coffee that I could smell it coming out of my pores. We stayed there all day just to watch them blow up the courtyard. When they blew up that courtyard, I was lying on top of the roof of the administration building 100 yards away, and I was lifted off the administration building when it exploded. The shockwave rolled out of the fountain quad, and the administration building was one of those buildings that's up on stilts, and underneath it were all the bike racks. The shockwave rolled out out of the fountain quad and expanded when it got out of the fountain quad and then collapsed underneath the administration building and it pushed the administration building all the way up and literally my whole body lifted off the roof and then we had to wrap it up that night. We had to strike it all out of there. We had to be completely cleaned out of there that night because we knew they'd never let us back. So to answer your question, a lot of different things. So yeah, it ended up looking pretty good. The explosions I saw just kind of looked like it was fire that was sprung up outside of the windows. Um, so I think there was probably something down below in the the grass area that kind of like yeah. shot up some fire, but it didn't actually yeah. – because like the actual school itself looked like the explosions were far away from the windows. Yeah. It wasn't inside. It wasn't the school that um, was mad at them. It was just the town in general, <laughs> the whole town. Yeah, I know that's that's what I mean. Like it looked oh, like okay. it was like in the town, um, and the explosions were outside. So it was like the sound of the explosions, and yeah. then it looked like the actual like tower that they built was exploded. Yeah, I think that's the one thing that they actually did. Yeah, did explode. So yeah, um, and then we kind of see like it looks like it's about like an hour ish or so later. <laughs> And the ambulance is taking Wesley away. 
He's like, I just get something for the pain. Okay, so the script, I died laughing when I read this. So this is Joss. He writes, fire trucks and ambulances have arrived, the smoking ruin of the school just hidden by them. People are helping the wounded into ambulances, milling about in post-war shock, leaving, talking, hugging, crying, and then in parentheses, probably not crying. They're extras, but we can always hope. <laughs> True. I mean, you can't like expect a ton from extras. So funny. <laughs> he like asked him, he's like, Can I have some aspirin? Of all the things to ask to ease the pain, aspirin, really? No, I'll be like, Give me something way stronger. <laughs> I don't know if he said this in the actual episode, but in the script, he says, If I could just be knocked unconscious. <laughs> he says that in the episode. Does he? Okay, I couldn't it's remember. It's kind of quiet, though. It's funny, okay. though. Buffy and Xander are walking through all of the ambulances. Um, and then Xander kind of like observes Buffy looking around you Mm -hmm. can tell that she's looking around for angel and he says he made it out he made it through the fight guess maybe he took off after and then xander kind of like looks at her still looking around and then walks away Uh, xander's all like yes maybe i have a shot (laughs) he's like he made it out he's never coming back he literally left you in the you can cry on my shoulder though if you want (laughs) (laughs) by the way he's like drinks at my place tonight guys After party at my place, I have a pool. He's like, Cordelia's leaving too with him, so this is great. <laughs> I don't really think that they know if Cordelia's really leaving yet. No, at that They point, don't really talk not. about it. They feel like give her a silent write-off. It yeah. just makes me mad. Like, literally nothing. We don't even know where she's going. No, we don't there's know never if she's any leaving. mention. Nothing. Yeah, there's yep. no mention of where she is. Nothing. Yep. Yeah, it's very weird. I'm like, that's so out of character. It's weird. I was just going to say, like, I like, though, that, like, Angel didn't just leave. Like I like yeah. how he he said that he was just gonna like not say goodbye and stuff. But you can tell that there was a part of him that needed to know that Buffy was okay, and he needed Buffy to know that he was okay. You know, and I love that they still had that. I don't know. I for me, I see that moment where they see each other as kind of a Angel just like kind of what he said at the beginning of the episode, he couldn't leave without seeing her one last time. I think it's just it it is a way of showing their magnetic pull that even though he knows the logical and rational thing would be to leave without saying goodbye, he just he wants to see her one last time. I don't know. It's just something so 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 romantic and sad about it's it. It's very tender. Like oh. you can tell that they just like you can feel how much they want to just run to each other and embrace, and but they choose, you know, he chooses to walk away and Buffy just lets him. It says, she feels him before she sees him. Turns. Angel stands some 20 yards away looking at her. People coming and going in between. They both stop. The noise fades away. They stare at each other. I know that we gas up Sarah Michelle Geller a ton, but I, I just see – the progression of the different motions she has in her eyes and the scene like she sees him and there's like a relief and then there's almost like a desperate look in her in her eyes it's kind of like is he going to change his mind and then there's like a little bit of sadness and then there's like a peaceful look and then there's yeah. like ending with like understanding and then a bit of like heartbrokenness like i feel like i got all of those emotions and just like her glance on his end as well i feel like he if i could say you know the phrase, they have their heart in their eyes? I feel like that's Angel. When he's looking at her, you just see the absolute longing and pain and sadness. And I just, oh, it breaks my heart. 
Music Sound and Silence says this, we should also remark on the somewhat conspicuous absence of the Buffy and Angel theme during their wordless goodbye at the end of season three when Angel leaves Sunnydale. The original theme could have been used to summarize their relationship in Sunnydale, but the new theme introduced for the last three episodes of season three points to the fact that their relationship is now in a new state. All the pain and struggle associated with this old theme are now in the past, and here we have music that, while just as sentimental, is also more mature with strings and harp and a more indirect mode of expression. This theme also achieves something that the original theme could not easily accomplish. It offers an untroubled closure in the major mode, articulating a quiet acceptance of what must be. So sad. I refuse to accept it. Refuse! I'm done, like, not accepting it just because, like, I feel like I need to move on with the show because <laughs> otherwise I would just go through this, like, cycle of just being depressed and then, like, not finishing it. So I also I want to point out that Angel turns and walks away the exact same way he did as in the first episode that they met. So freaking sad, bro. <laughs> Leah's over here crying. It's the, the swagger leg swing. The lingering gaze. I don't want to look away until I absolutely can't. And gosh, every time I see Angel walk away at the end of season three, each time I think maybe this time will be different. Maybe he won't leave. And he always does. And it breaks my heart as he walks off the show onto his own show. Just let me have my moment. Okay, guys. His character is not like written off though. Like, like, he still has his whole other show where he is the same character, Angel. That's true. And there's some goodness with him, you know? Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll take that. Thanks for that, Tabby. He's not gone. Yes, he um, is. So I was like, I don't want to end it because I'm yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> the longer we talk about it, the longer <laughs> Angel's here. This last interaction with all of them kind of reminds me of the ending of um. Oh gosh, what's that episode? It feels like forever. It's ago. the one happy episode in like season one or two. It's definitely not happy, but it's like the happy. No, but I mean ending. the ending is happy. Oh, I robot Eugene. It's like when they're all in the fountain, they're like kind of talking about like the future and like their love lives and how they're all doomed. And then they like it's like this like sad, happy moment where they're like laughing about it. And then there's that moment where they stop and they like stare around. They're like, wait a minute. I feel like that kind of sums up what high school is like at the end. You kind of have like those moments where you're like, you start laughing because you're like, this is so ridiculous. The fact that we went through all this like can't be real. Um, and it's like a bit of hope and a bit of like scared, terrified moment because like you you think about the possibility of a life after high school and you're like, there's so many possibilities. There's so much hope. Like I can do anything with my life. And then you think about it and you're like, nothing's going to be this simple again. You know, it's never just going to be like this set out schedule for me. Um, and everything gets so much harder and it's like, they sit there and they talk and I just, I love this little like subtle tender sweetness between Buffy and Willow. She kind of looks at her ass if she's okay. And then Buffy kind of like slumps down next to her. They sit close together. And then Oz is like, let's take a moment. Like we survived. And they kind of go on about how like the battle was crazy. And he's like, no, like we survived high school. And then they all have like a split second of thinking about it. And then they walk away. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that because it's like, hey, let's move on. Let's move on to the next phase of our lives, you know? But it also feels like a full goodbye. Like it actually feels like a good goodbye to high school in the first three seasons. 
And it's just very fitting that like the yearbook is like in the gutter. <laughs> yeah. It's got like burnt charred stuff around it. But mm-hmm. I love the slogan. We talked about this. The slogan is the future is ours. Um, and I love – we've talked about this in the spoiler section multiple times, but the mayor has said multiple times, the youth are our future. And this whole idea of – taking back the power for themselves. The youth are like, no, we're the future. We're going to take our own destiny in our own hands and we're not going to let you decide it for us. And I think that's just an amazing theme of the of the season. Um, it's a great theme of choice. Harry Groner says this. He says, by the time I died, I was actually sad, not because of not being able to do it anymore, but because I wanted to know what happened to the kids after graduation. I didn't want to leave that story yet. Which I thought was really kind of cool. Every quote I see of him, it just seems like he had an absolute blast in the show and didn't want to leave. And I I love that. And if you guys stay until the end of the episode, the mutant enemy zombie that always appears at the end of each episode is wearing a little black graduation cap, which is kind of cool. So that's it. We did it. We finished, well, I mean, almost finished season three. We have our spoiler section next week. But oh my word, we're going to be starting season four so soon. And I just, I can't wait. New atmosphere, new cast, all this stuff. It's going to be so fun. Well done, guys. Let's take a moment. Relish in the fact that we did it. We did all of season three. And I just really want to say thank you to you guys for hanging in there and making this a really fun season. And I also want to say, I really feel like we grew a ton in this past season. And I'm really proud of the episodes that we put out there. So well done, guys. Pat yourselves on the back. And keep sticking through because uh, season four, we're going to need you all to have a little bit of grit to you. <laughs> it'll be fun. There no, are it'll some be episodes so fun. that like, are laughable, but it'll be fun. It'll be fun to go through. And um, our brother David, he has said that he wants to come back a little bit more frequently as we talk through season four. It's just going to be so much fun. I can't wait. We've got a a lot of good stuff with um, me and Leia doing the Angel podcast. There's just going to be a lot of really fun things coming up. So that's it, you guys. Uh, As always, you can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr, Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget about our live spoiler this Saturday. Again, that's at 11.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And you can find the link to that on our Instagram and on our website, becomingbuffypodcast.com. Hope to see you guys there and we will see you next time.